Hello, everybody. Guys, you know, did, do you love to worship? I don't know. I'm telling you, I get so caught up in it, it's nuts. I do. I was opening my eyes. Maybe it's just because I was crying, probably. But it's it like a mist. And I could hear voices. It wasn't Phil's voice. It was like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm telling you, of, of, of all the things of the Scriptures, of all the things on the planet Earth, the thing that connects the heavenly atmosphere to the reality of earth that we live in is people worshipping Jesus. I'm, I'm convinced of it. It's in worship that the most incredible, life-changing things happen. Do you believe that? I really do. I mean, yeah. Hence my encouragement for us to be super passionate about singing, dancing, bowing, kneeling, raising our hands, clapping, shouting, God's formula for us. It's amazing. We think we worship God, but it's His cleverness all along to make us free. Everything changes when you see Jesus. You know that. Please, someone get me some water before I faint. A full cup. Thanks. Uh, a whole bottle. Oh, thanks, Debs. Thank you. I want to just say thank you so much for all the many, many texts uh, when I was in South Africa to, to bury my dad, I really appreciate it. It makes you feel so loved, and I'm very grateful. Thank you, everybody, okay? It's just so amazing. And uh, God is so gracious and had an amazing time in South Africa under the circumstances, and it was, it was just, you know, God is just faithful and good. And um, I don't know, maybe because I'm like over 50 now, you know, you wouldn't say it, but I am, I am. I, I just feel that this, 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 this is, there's this, I don't know. Heaven is coming to earth, guys. And, and we need to be so aware of that reality every day. It's not an insipid thing that you just hear. You know, Paul was transformed because he saw Jesus on the road of Damascus, and as a result, he went blind. It's so interesting that his disciples, the guys that were with Paul, saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. And I feel God wants to, to blind us to the things that the world make prominent and speak to us so that we would hear his voice, so that we'd be brave enough. We need to be brave, courageous, courageous people. Anyway, did you guys ever, have you guys heard of Ronald Bonke? He passed away yesterday. And um, it's just such an incredible thing, you know. Like uh, Richard asked me, do you think God said to him, welcome good and faithful servant, into my rest. I was like, heck yeah. I, 76 million people got saved under his ministry. How many people in Canada? 30 million. How many people in Canada? 36 million. So like twice, so like twice the Canadian country of mass people got born again in uh, Ronald Bonke's uh, ministry and life. A poor guy with one cruel crown got on the train and said yes to God. God used him. 76 million people later, he breathed his last breath, stepped into that throne room. He's now one of the guys hanging over the balcony of heaven, shouting at us, you can do it! In his German accent, Africa shall be saved! That's what I remember about him. He said two things, Ronald Bonke. One, Africa shall be saved. He never said it. He shouted it in German accent, English. And the second thing he says, flies don't sit on a hot plate. Flies 
don't sit on a hot plate. And he led 76 million people to Jesus. Which means, I want to be a hot plate. I want to be set ablaze by the presence of Jesus. I want zero superficial spirituality in my life. None. And, 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 I, and, and I can't help. I just literally physically cannot help but to look at this community and see exponential potential. To see millions. Millions and millions. Millions and millions come into the kingdom because we live lives of courage and delightful obedience to Jesus. And with that, let's go to Acts 22. All right. Paul's defense. Are you there? I don't think we're going to have a Christmas party again. Because nobody's here. Everybody's sleeping in. What the heck? Joking. Debs and Belinda was outstanding. Yo! Best one yet. It's, it's wonderful. Um, anyway. So this is Paul. Um, and I'm going to read out of the, the TPT translation. It's just a wonderful, accurate translation. It goes like this. Ladies and gentlemen, follow and fellow believers and elders. Please listen to me as I offer my defense. Now we know that he was dragged because the crowd was mobbed, was beating him close to death. Paul had some really extreme encounters and experiences in his life. And he was going to have a couple more on his way to Rome. And now Paul is taken into prison here because the, the officials actually want to save his life from the angry Jewish mob. And uh, he's in a very, very precarious position. And as they're carrying him in, ready to lock him up, he asks a very polite question. He says, may I speak to you? May, am I allowed to ask you a question? And then, he, and, and then he reveals a couple of things to them, that he is a, a Roman citizen, and he is a Jew, and all the Jews instantly paid serious attention to him when there's this guy they all thought was an Ethiopian terrorist speaking in fluent Aramaic, which was ancient Jewish language. And they all thought, wow. And um, I, didn't know if, I don't know if Linda probably preached this last week, spoke about this last week. I heard it was absolutely amazing. Did we record it? I couldn't find it. Fantastic. Um, and, um, and so here he is, and this is his defense. So they're all, they're all listening, and this is Paul speaking. So um, the professor N.T. Wright uh, describes Paul's position like this. Paul was the manager of Real Madrid. Real Madrid is a, is a European soccer team. Real Madrid was top of the league. They won every game. They were unbeatable. They were amazing, pretty much like Red Hill until Friday night because Alice wasn't there. <laughs> what? Did I just say that? Woo, just came out. Anyway, um, anyway, he was at the top of his game. He was the manager. Now, you players come and go in these leagues. They come and go, and they pay millions of dollars for these guys. But the manager is really a key element of any team. Paul was manager of Real Madrid. If you guys didn't know it, now you know. And he was winning all the games. And then he got an offer from Barcelona that he couldn't refuse. <laughs> Barcelona, Barcelona. And, uh, anyway, they offered him $65 million to come across from Real Madrid to Barcelona. And he thought about it, spoke to his wife about it. They thought, oh, Paul did fall He spoke to his, his people about it, and he decided he's going to take it. So he left Real Madrid, went to Barcelona, and started coaching the Barcelona team. The Real Madrid guys were so mad with him. They were furiously angry with him. And there are some real stories of, of this actually in, the, in some of the Bundesliga. The guys want to kill the other managers that they leave. Anyway, so he got to this team. But the day arrived when Barcelona played Real Madrid. And 
beat them. Paul went from Real Madrid to Barcelona. This is exactly where he was right now. You must remember, Paul was from Tarsus. He was Saul. He grew up under Gamaliel, which was the top scholar of the day. He was a proper Pharisee. He was the upper class of Jewish society. He was fully committed, doing so well. In fact, he got letters from the authorities to go and persecute the guys that were on the way, the Christians, those who were followers of Jesus. He was fanatic. He was zealous. And he was passionate. And he was fully convinced. And then Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, bro, Barcelona. And now he gives his defense to Real Madrid as he stands on the stairs. Does that help you? This is the climate. It's not just like Paul saying, oh my goodness, these guys are really angry. Let me think of something cute to say to get me off the hook. No, this is serious culture, serious, solid cultural paradigm that you cannot escape other than dying. And we know that Paul got out for a little while after this. I don't want to give the plot away, but it's, just in, it's right there throughout this is the speech he gave in 9, he gave it in 22, he's going to give it again in 26, and then he's under house arrest for a little while in Rome, and then he's killed. And so this is towards the end of everything, but it's so accelerated, and the pace is so cool, that it's important for us to keep up and to read these things with, with, a, with a proper background. So this is Paul standing up. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow believers and elders, please listen to me as I offer my defense. Now, when everyone realized that he was speaking to them in the Judean Aramaic language, the crowd became all the more attentive. Remember, this was a mob mentality. Most of them thought he was the Ethiopian terrorist. So now who's this guy? He's speaking Aramaic. This is what our fathers speak. So this is legit. The Jews are serious people. To this day, I was sitting in JFK. Right next to me, a rabbi took out his paraphernalia, threw it over his head, wrapped himself up in the thing and started rocking. Right next to me at JFK as the sun came up. And then again in the airplane through the night as the sun came up, in, uh, in, uh, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, the same rabbi, I realized there was a whole bunch of the rabbis, stood up, made some gesture to everybody. The Jews stood up in the plane. Safety belt, seat sign is on, guys. <laughs> Wrapped themselves up and started rocking. This is the culture. Nothing will stop them and deter them from pursuing this God and awaiting and stirring their heart for this glorious Messiah that's already come. They're still waiting for the veil is still covering their eyes, like Moses says. And in the midst of this, Paul is trying to convince them that the Messiah has come. And he is an emissary. And this is the expression of this new kingdom, this new realm. And as a result of it, an entirely new kingdom culture. It's not easy. I'm not going to stop. Sorry, I won't stop reading again. Maybe not. Then Paul said, I'm a Jewish man. I was born in Tarsus, a city in Turkey. However, I grew up in this city was properly trained in the Mosaic law and tutored by Rabbi Gamaliel, according to our ancestral custom. And I've been extremely passionate in my desire to please God. That's a big deal. Desire to please God. Just as all of you are today. <coughs> I've literally hunted down and killed the followers of this way. I've seized them. I've thrown them into prison, both men and women. All of this can be verified by the high priest and the supreme council of elders. So they even wrote letters to our fellow Jews of Damascus, authorizing me to arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a brilliant, heavy, heavily light suddenly appeared, 
flashing all around me. And as I fell to the ground, I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And my answer was, who are you, my Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus, the victorious. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's actually, it says Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus of Nazareth, when you, when you say a guy and his name where he's from, is a, is a, is a, is a statement of, of, of stature, of standing. He's Jesus of Nazareth. It's like he's known where he's from. And so it implies this victorious, beautiful, I am the one that you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the brilliant light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. So I asked, Lord, what am I to do? And the Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told about all that you are destined to do. What an incredible, beautiful statement. Not, Paul, this is what I want you to do. Are you up for it? No. Go there, and then I will tell you. It's the step-by-step reality of this walk that we walk in. Hence my prayer for courage for us as the church. Because there are few people that will go like Abraham without knowing where they're going. There are few people like Joshua who will have courage enough to say, I'm going through this, I've never been this way before, God. Please go ahead of us. There's few people like Jehoshaphat who were surrounded by the enemy and the reality of circumstances, so much so that people became cannibals under his rule and reign, eating their own children. And he turned to God, he says, God, I have nowhere else to go, but my eyes are on you. It's this, it's this, it's this arresting reality of being a, a real follower of Jesus and not having to be in control of every single move of your life because of the fact that you trust him. You're willing to walk there. And friends, I am convinced that God has called us here to this thing. Please forgive me if I sound like a stuck record. Probably going to say it many more times as long as I live. God has called us here. This is not a mistake that you hear. It's not a coincidence that you hear or some random reality. Even if you hear for a little while, you are hearing an eternal gospel. That through your life, God is revealing a new culture. The kingdom culture. Where he is actually king. And where there are rules demands, as Paul calls them, where there is a king to bow to and surrender your life to, and that nothing, nothing will ever happen until the point where we lay down our lives as he has laid down his life for us. And then like Paul in Galatians 2.20, we can say, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith, because without faith it's literally impossible to please him. So, Verse 12, a Jewish man living there named Ananias came to me to see me. He was a godly man who lived according to the law of Moses and was highly esteemed by the Jewish community. He stood beside me and he said, Saul, my brother, Saul, open your eyes and see again. Because remember, he was blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. You can't help but sing that song. At that very instant, I opened my eyes and I could see. Then he said to me, and you've got to read what the scholars say about this moment. It is beautiful. It is amazing. Some guy really push it. Like they say that God blinded Paul to the old to, re, to, to reawaken him to the new. And it's just the, the repetitive pattern of becoming a follower of Jesus. You cannot live until you've died. There is no life except resurrection life, which preempts death. So you have to die to your own desires. And for some of us, it's so tough to die. Like Peter Sellers in the movie The Party. Have you ever seen it? They just keep shooting and shooting, but he plays the trumpet. 
Have you ever seen the movie, John? That's why you... You've got to see it, man. I am so like that sometimes. Yes, but God, I just want to be right. Let me just be right one more time. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> anyway, Paul's eyes was opened, and then he could see. Then he said to me, the God of our ancestors has destined you. Take that for you. To know his plan, and for you to see the Holy One, and to hear the voice God has destined for us to see Him and to hear Him. It's amazing. You cannot remain the same. You literally cannot. For you will be His witness. It's a passive word. It's a a prison continuous word. You will be His witness in every race of people and will share with them everything that you've seen and heard. That sounds like Jesus, right? I do nothing I have not seen my father do or hear my father say. So now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins as you call upon his name. And then I returned to Jerusalem. And while I was praying in the temple, I entered another realm and I saw him. He said to me, hurry and depart from Jerusalem quickly for the people here will not receive the truth that you share about me. But Lord, I argued. I don't know how we can still argue at that point, but anyway, they all know that I am the one who went into the Jewish meetings to find these who believed in you and had them beaten and imprisoned. When the blood of your witness, Stephen, was shed, I stood nearby in full approval at what, uh, at what was happening. And I even guarded the cloaks of those who stoned him to death. Then he said to me, go at once, for I'm sending you to preach to the non-Jewish nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish nations. The crowd listened attentively to Paul up to this point. But when they heard this, they all at once erupted with loud shouts saying, get rid of this man, kill him, he doesn't deserve to live. And the Roman Commander then interrogated Paul, and while the crowd was screaming and yelling, kill him, kill him, he doesn't deserve to live, removing the outer garment and throwing handfuls of dust into the head in protest, which is a common thing for people to do, to create a riot, riot atmosphere, the commander had Paul brought back to the compound, and he ordered that he, that he be whipped with a lash <coughs> and interrogated to find out what he said that so infuriated the crowd. When the soldier stretched Paul out with ropes, he said to the captain, who was standing nearby, is it legal for you to torture a Roman citizen like this without a proper trial? And the officer heard this. He immediately went to the commander and reported it, saying, this man is a Roman citizen. What should we do now? The commander came to Paul and asked him, tell me the truth. Are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he replied. The commander said, I had to purchase my citizenship with a great sum of money. Paul replied, I was born a citizen. All of the soldiers who were about to whip Paul backed away because they were afraid of the consequences for trying, for tying up and holding a Roman citizen against their will. The next day, the commander ordered that the high priest and the supreme Jewish council be uh, be convened because he wanted to find out exactly why the Jews were accusing Paul. So he had him untied and brought out to stand before all of them. Chapter 22. Basically, this is the testimony of Paul to the Jews and the Gentiles. It is both 
the salvation of Paul or the, or, the, or the conversion of Paul and the proclamation of Paul's mission. Paul's mission that he received from Jesus when he was blinded and could hear was from that point onward the single most determining factor in defining his life. Mission. Please say it with me. Mission. A life lived in pursuit of Jesus and the kingdom of God that is void of mission and therefore anything that puts us in a position where we compromise the reality of mission is superficial. Superficial. When Jesus, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, now go into all the world, it wasn't just like a now go. Uh, I heard John Tyson a couple of weeks ago when I was in New York City. It was so amazing. He preached about, he preached about this, this particular scripture. And he said when he was a little boy in middle school, they, they, they had a massive um, diving board at their swimming pool. And um, he was the first one on there. And he was a plump guy. And he was standing on top of this 20-foot diving board. And, and, um, and he was petrified, absolutely petrified. There was nothing brave in him. He didn't even try and act brave. His knees were bent. They were shaking. And he was standing like this. Like Levi used to stand when he tried to dive just do belly flops off the 20 foot or 50 foot or whatever foot diving board. And all his mates were standing around the pool at the bottom looking at him saying, John, John, go, 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 go. So we're going to try and do that. You ready? One, two, three. Go, 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 go. Let's build it. Go, go, go. Build it. Go, go, go. Alice, go, 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 go. That's the Great Commission. Go, Grandma! That's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. Paul, go, go, go. John, go, 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 go. Eric, go, go, go. What is that word? It's mission. If you live your life oblivious of those around you, thousands, maybe millions, maybe one, who does not know the love and the fire of the redemptive edge of Jesus Christ, friends, you are living void of mission and your life will have no definition and you will be swallowed up by the ways of the world. If you don't believe me, read Galatians, Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Timothy and you'll see it's very clear that we are not living haphazardly. There's nothing haphazard about your life. There's not a moment in your life that does not count towards an eternal destiny. And there's not a moment in your life that the angels of heaven and the hosts of heaven and all those guys that have gone before us are not cheering us on, saying, go, 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 go. And eventually, you'll hear enough goes to be brave enough to dive. Woo! The power of testimony. The word testimony, you guys probably know this, means do it again, do again to do again. And I was listening years ago, I remember it, to uh, Bill Johnson, who was preaching, um, I don't know what he was preaching on, but he was telling a story, he was out with a bunch of students, and he was a little boy, the boy's name is Chris, I remember that, with clubbed feet. And um, his mom brought him, and he, and he had like scabs on his feet, uh, because he was dragging his feet around the whole time, because he had clubbed feet, clubbed feet, uh, unformed feet, whatever. And, um, and, 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 Bill, and Bill, and the students got around this little boy, Chris, and prayed for him. And in front of their eyes, the, the feet turned outwards. Okay? So the, the students are freaking out. The mom is absolutely losing her mind. And out of the crowd, he's, he was three years old. 
his three-year-old little girl, friend who was a girl stepped up to him and said, Chris, Chris, run. It's like the equivalent of, Chris, go, 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 go. So what he did, he took off. And he started running. Bill says he ran like a 20-foot 20, a 20 circus. He's like, I can run, I can run. While he's telling the story to the church, there's a mom visiting from Montana. Her two-year-old daughter was in the child care at the church. She heard the story. Her child had club feet. <laughs> she heard the story. She said nothing. She did nothing. In her heart, she said, Lord, I take that for Amanda. I take that for my child. So towards the end of the service, she was getting all itchy, itchy, and she got up and she went to find her child. And as the child came out of the child ministry, the child ran towards her and her feet were straight. What is that? It's the power of testimony. Okay? Bill had nothing to do. He didn't know this lady. He did nothing. It was, it was over into God's realm, in a sense, because he told the story of what God had done. But listen to this. So after the service, he got in the Uber, took him back to his hotel. The Uber driver was a Brazilian who was trying to make it in America, left his wife and child at home, sobbing this Uber driver. He says, my wife just called me. She watched you online in Brazil. Laid her hands on my child's feet. My child is healed. <laughs> Showed Bull this photograph of his daughter. Straight feet, club feet. Trifecta, bro. Out the park. Why? Power of testimony. Simple question. What is your story? One of the greatest expressions of the church in the modern-day culture and the secular world is that we are a part of the great meta-narrative, the great story of God. Your life is a part of that story. God is writing you into the greatest story. Therefore, your story matters. Can you tell your story? Do you have three versions of your story? Do you have a 30-second one? five-minute one, and the full version. I'm not kidding you. Super practical. Can you step up to someone and say, I'm a believer, and this is how it happened? In 30 seconds, don't bore them to death. You've got you to check people out. The power of testimony. What he used to be, how God encountered him, and now how his life is defined by the go, 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 go. I didn't plan to do it so many times, but it sounds so cool. By his mission. Don't spend 50 minutes on how wild you used to be, how you used to deal cocaine and all the cool stuff, and then three seconds, and now I'm a Christian. No, no. Do it like Paul did. He stood up and gave glory to God from the beginning. So our mission is defined, it defines our lives. And Paul's life literally changed completely on the road to Damascus. Revelation chapter 19 says, Then the angel said to me, Write these words, wonderfully blessed are those who are invited to the feast at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are the true words of God. To reiterate the importance of the statement. At this, I fell face down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he stopped me and said, don't do this, for I am only a fellow servant with you and the one of your brothers and sisters who cling to that, what Jesus, to what Jesus testifies. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For so long, we thought prophecy 
was a short word of exhortation given to the church from the front. It is that too. But the story of Jesus unlocks and releases the spirit of the prophetic in our lives, not just to speak, but also to speak, but to totally bring new culture. New culture. We are called to redeem the time, like the Word of God says. We are called to redeem the culture. We are called to redeem the days that the culture makes sacred. We are called to live lives on the redemptive edge. There, the redemptive edge, sorry for screaming, the redemptive edge is the front line. And that's where we are called to live as Christians. We are not the logistics guys that are sitting behind him. We are called to live on the redemptive edge. You know what happens at the redemptive edge? It's a line. Just make it very clear. This is how I see it. A redemptive edge is a line. We are called to redeem. That means we are advancing. The kingdom of God is always advancing. It's never, it never goes back. It's always advancing. It has no fence. It's ever increasing. It's ever growing. We are the expression of that reality. So as we live on the redemptive edge of God, the darkness is ahead of us and the light is behind us. And darkness cannot overcome light, but light overcomes the darkness. And that's where we want to live. And that requires serious courage for us to live in places of delightful obedience. Serious courage. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The story of Jesus Christ finds expression through our lives. How? Go, 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 go. But I don't know what to do. It doesn't matter. Go, 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 go. As the one that, as Catherine prayed before we started speaking now, that the one in the scriptures revealed to us. The Lord of the Word is revealed to us. Keeping a testimony of what God has done creates a cultural lens by or through with I actually begin to live. Telling the story of Jesus breaks open the dark. Literally like those ships that go to the south and the north poles that crush through the eyes, those mega monstrous ships. You were designed for that. You were created for that. We are created to go. It defines our existence. Our mission defines our existence. And therefore anything that is contrary to shaping the mission of God, the story of God, the bigger narrative of my life in Christ is not worth pursuing. It leads to death and destruction. It, does, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it will never give you life. It's only then that we actually begin to live. Everything I see through the testimony of Jesus. He once was dead, gave his life for you and I, now he's alive. Now he's alive. And if we are in him, we live in that resurrection reality. That's an amazing, it's a whole different thing. See Elijah prophesying. See Moses speaking to the sea. See Joshua walking through the Jordan. See people who had never encountered God change in his presence. That's what we live for. This presence here is not just for ourselves, friends. It, no chance of that. It cannot happen. Our togetherness last night was so beautiful. What an incredible night. Our family, fun, eating, celebrating, redeeming, living on the edge. But where was our friends? Sorry to dampen it. But where, where were our friends? Okay. So the testimony of God and the courage to obey is totally connected. And I'm going to close with this. Psalm Psalm 78. Your testimony, like Paul's testimony, there's a lot of historical reality that, that we can go into about the speech that Paul gives here. It's absolutely amazing. The bottom line is, Paul stood up here 
as the new manager of Barcelona in the midst of the old Real Madrid guys that he created, made, was passionate about, and he had to convince and change a culture. He was living on that redemptive edge. He was living the go. He was living the yes. And for us, that's God's commission to us. Nothing has changed. It will never change. And so therefore, the testimony of God gives us courage to obey. Without courage, I don't think we can obey. Courage to obey. Psalm 78, listen to this. We've heard true stories from our fathers about our rich inheritance. We will continue to tell our children and not hide them from the rising generation. Isn't that incredible? Psalm 78, the great marvels of our God. We don't light up a lamp and hide it under the bushel. No, we don't do that. We put it on a stand and it gives light. We are, the, we are the salt and the light. Light doesn't concentrate to shine. It just it shines. Therefore, your life, wherever you go, whether you speak words or not, hopefully you do speak words and live a life, releases the reality of a new kingdom on this, in this place. The great marvels of our God, His, His miracles and His power that have brought us all this far. Verse 5. The story of Israel is a lesson in God's ways. He established decrees for Jacob and he established the law in Israel and he commanded our forefathers to teach them to their children and to their children. For perpetuity, God's ways will be passed down from one generation to the next, even to those who are not yet born. And that's why when Julia was in Catherine's womb, we used to sing over her, prophesy over her, speak life over her. Levi, we were much, much more lackadaisical about it, but we did say a couple of things about it. <laughs> but, but even over the unborn, we declared. We declared the purposes of Jesus. In fact, there was a time where I believed that infants could experience the presence of God so tangibly in the womb that when we were in times of worship, Catherine's stomach would be like, do, 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 as Julia was kicking inside. And Levi, the presence of God is just permeates everything. It's amazing. So even to the unborn, it says here, in this way, every generation will have a living faith in the laws of life and will never forget the faithful ways of God. Verse 8, by following His ways, they will break the past bondage. How? By following His ways. What do you need for that? Courageous obedience. Following His ways, we will break the old of their fickle fathers who were a stubborn and a rebellious generation and whose spirits strayed from the eternal God. They refused to love Him with all their hearts. Take, for example, the sons of Ephraim. Though they were all equipped warriors, listen to this, the sons of Ephraim were wicked warriors. They could fight with bow and arrows and with, uh, uh, with um, slings. Bow and arrows, slings and spear. They were Great warriors, the sons of Ephraim. <coughs> and each with weapons. When the battle began, they retreated and they ran away in fear. Why did they become cowards? They did not walk in obedience. Why did they not? They didn't really believe the promises of God. Can you see the importance of telling your story? Can you see the power of the testimony? Do it again, God. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Go, go, go. Do it again. Tell the stories from generation to generation to generation. Not just reading the Bible stories. They are amazing and they're super foundational. But what is your story? 
Where have you courageously obeyed God that has cost you? Where? That your child and your children will see, and when the battle arises, they will not run away in fear. Why? Because they saw their dad, their mom, their sister, their brother, their friends overcome through courageous obedience. The testimony. They didn't really believe the promises of God. The last time I saw Craig, I said to him, but I love you. And he was talking in a, in a direction which was wise towards, towards the end of his life. And um, it was difficult. And then I, I, I looked in his eyes and I said, but listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for God to heal you until you breathe your last breath. Is that okay? Did I tell you guys this already? Yeah. And he said, and he started crying and he said, yes, thank you. Why? Why? Because of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Because God promised us. He made a promise to us. And in that book, in that chapter of Hebrews 11, many died, the Bible says, in faith, which is where I want to be. I could fail a thousand times because of the promises of God, the righteous will arise. I could fail a thousand times. It's not based on your and my um, ability, but on the depth of our character that is rooted in faith. I want to remain in faith because Hebrews 11 says that many of those died having not yet seen the promises fulfilled. In other words, I'm going to pray for Craig until he dies because I will stay in faith because I know his eternal destiny is secure. Does that make sense? Because I don't want to be the coward that runs for my own fleshly desires in fear because I've never expressed courageous obedience. Friends, this is the the angle of the church in North America. And the time is literally now. They didn't really believe the promises of God. And that's why they were cowards. And their character was proven shallow at the day of, at the day of, of, of war. When they had to be on the redemptive edge, pushing back the darkness, they chose to run. Why? They didn't really believe the promises. How can we make our children stand? Friends, the next generation is so important. So important. We don't want to lose the next generation. Parents, you've got to be courageous. You've got to stand for Jesus. I'm not talking about beating your kids over the head. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you being courageously obedient. And if you fail, it's okay. We all fail. We really do. But know this. There'll be someone, there'll be someone in this community that'll say to you, okay, dude, stand up. Now go, 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 go. They forgot his wonderful works. And an entire generation forgot the miraculous past. (laughs) The miraculous past. An entire generation forgot it. Even the exodus from Egypt, the epic miracles of his might, they forgot. They forgot the glories of his power at the place of passing over into the promised land. They forgot it. Because the power of the testimony. That's what Paul is doing here. Brothers, please listen to me. This God. God split the sea wide open and the water stood in attention on their side as the people passed through it. This is a big deal because our obedience imparts courage to the next generation, to our children and to their children. How? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Do we expect miracles? Do we talk about God's ability to intervene? Do you expect the impossible? If you do, your kids will. And the other way around. Miracles is not just historic. It became alive. And now, through the stories we tell, the record of God's acts are perpetuated from generation to generation. That's exactly what Paul was doing here in this place.